0: Father God, um, I thank you so much for for Chris, um, for who he is, for all that he brings to us. Um, I pray, pray Holy Spirit, would you just fill him with your peace, your reassurance, and I pray you give him just the confidence to speak all that um, you have put on his heart this week. Um, In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joel. Morning, everybody. Morning. Excellent. Looking forward to speaking to us today because um, we've got actually what I think is a really, it's quite a simple passage, in some respects quite a simple word, um, but actually really, really profound. And I'm looking forward to bringing this to us. If you want to, turn in your Bibles um, to Joshua 12, 1 to 24. I'll just give uh, a minute to do that. So it's Joshua 12, 1 to 24. And by the way, I have been pronouncing, I have been practising my um, pronunciations of different uh, Old Testament phrases. Yeah, thanks for that one, Mike. Um, <laughs> interesting enough, I have been doing the, uh, the Bible in a Year recently, and it actually really helped, um, because I listened to it in the car, and there was a whole load of these words. I was like, ah, that's how you pronounce it. Um, so if nothing else, it's been very useful for that. Lots of other reasons, though. Okay, let's, let's go on this. Um, it said, it's about the list of defeated kings, so let's read through it. Uh, Right, these are the kings of the land whom the Israelites had defeated and whose territory they took over east of the Jordan from the Arnon Gorge to Mount Hermon, including all the eastern side of the Arabah. Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. He ruled over the Aror on the rim of the Arnon Gorge from the middle of the gorge to the Jabbok River, which is the border of the Ammonites. This included the half of Gilead, he also ruled over the eastern Arabah from the Sea of Galilee to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, to Beth Jeshimosh, Jeshimoth, and then southward below the slopes of Pisgah, and the territory of Og, king of Bashan, one of the last of the Rephites, who reigned in Ashtarath and Edrei. He ruled over Mount Heron, Hermon, Seleka, all of Bashan, to the border for the people of Geshor and Makar and half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the Israelites conquered them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh to be their possession. Here is a list of the kings of the land that Joshua and the Israelites conquered on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir. Joshua gave their lands as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel according to their tribal divisions. The lands included the hill country, the western foothills, the Arabah, the mountain slopes, the wilderness, and the Negev. These were the lands of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Phew. I've still got the list of kings to go. The king of Jericho, the king of Ai, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, the king of Gazir, the king of Debir, the king of Geddah, the king of Hormar, the king of Arad, the king of Libna, the king of Adjulam, the king of Makeda, the king of Bethel, the king of Tapua the king of Hefer, the king of Aphek, the king of Lasharon, the king of Madon, the king of Hazor, the king of Shimron-Meron, the king of Akshap, I think, the king of Tanakh, the king of Megiddo, the king of Kadesh, the king of Jokniem in Carmel, the king of Dor, the king of Goyim in Gilgal, and the king of Terzar, 31 kings in all. Don't ever do that to me again. Right. Yeah, they should be referred to from now on as those kings. Okay, can we just do that? Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so you get the idea. And this actually, I think, is a really, really exciting passage. And I've actually entitled it, Who Doesn't Want to Be a Champion? And actually, this is what the passage is all about. I think it's a really simple passage, but actually really, really profound. Who doesn't want to be a champion? Who doesn't want to excel in whatever it is they do. Who doesn't want to be a success in their life? Does anyone here not want to be a success in what they do? I didn't think so. We all want to be good at what we do, whatever that is, whatever God's called us to do. And it's really important to see that in all aspects of life. I'm a really firm believer. There's no such thing as secular and non-secular. And when God says, I want you to be a champion, it's a champion in everything. It's a champion in your relationships, with your family, with what you do in church, with what you do in work, with what you do in volunteering. And even though it might be tempting to think about this as God seeing us as champions in the church, actually, he means everything. And what I'd really, really be encouraging you to do is to think about those circumstances in your life as I go through this, where actually say, actually, God, I want to be a champion in that situation. And it might be that uh, that's a relationship So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about, really, first of all, I'm going to look at the historical and biblical context of this passage. Then I'm going to think about why should we think like a champion and what does that actually mean. Then I'm going to get onto the bit about the importance of obedience. And then actually I'm going to talk about victory through struggles, because I think it's really important to talk about that as well. So if we have a look at the historical and biblical context, it's really easy to see this just as a bit of a historical background as to what's going on. You could read the list. If you can pronounce it. And you can go through and you can just say, okay, these things happened. Fine, that's a bit of historical information. But it's far deeper than that. There's actually a really, really strong message in this about God's faithfulness, but linked into that, the importance of obedience. And the two very, very much going hand in hand. It's worth mentioning that, first of all, these kings in this sense probably weren't kings as we would see. So, of course, we're coming up to the coronation and you see sort of. King Charles and and everything he stands for, they're actually probably more likely to be tribal chiefs, essentially, in this context, and it's worth sort of picking that one out. Verse 1 to 6 covers those captured under Moses, and verse 7 to 24 actually captures those, um, those captured under Joshua. So why is this important? Why is it really good that we're looking at this today? Essentially, it's all about proving a really simple, central message of our faith. As we are obedient, God seeks to bless us. It's a central thing in what we do. As we're obedient to God, he seeks to bless us. Done. See you later. Um, (laughs) but But it is. And I'm going to expand on that a little bit, but it is actually that simple. And I thought it was brilliant what Robin just brought about, you know, Jesus saved. Actually, this is so true. That's about thinking like a champion. But there are a few examples in the Bible where people have turned to God and it's gone, right... And there's a few, a lot of examples where people have turned away from God. And it's gone really, really wrong. So if I want to turn first of all, I'm going to look at uh, the book of Exodus. We all know the book of Exodus and everything that goes on in there. And I'm going to mention um, 14, verse 13 to 14. And this is where people had very much faithfully been following God and been obedient. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And of course, we know that moved into the parting of the sea and all that kind of thing. In that circumstance, they were obedient to God, and God gave them massive, massive blessing. However, there can be times where people turn from the Lord, and it doesn't go right. If we look at 2 Kings, it talks all about how his people have turned from God and it all starts to go really quite wrong. So I'm going to read from 2 Kings 24. Um, and it says this, 24, 12 to 14. So that's 2 Kings 24, 12 to 14. There's some more names in this. And Cohen, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner "...in the eighth year of his reign, and carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and cut into pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon king of Israel had made and the Lord had foretold. He carried away all of Jerusalem and all of the officials and all of the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths, none remained except the poorest people of the land." So there's a really important point here. If we want to be a champion, we need to obey. Nice and simple one there for you. So let's go into it a little bit more detail. God wants us to think like a champion. The passage in the Bible so that we, is in the Bible, so that we can see his victories and gain confidence from that. It's not just there as a historical context. It's about gaining confidence in what God um, wants to do for us now. Now I'm really interested um, in my line of work. For those who don't know me, I work as a head teacher. um, And I'm really interested in theories of leadership and change management and those kinds of principles. And what's really, really interesting is when I read this and I look at these theories of what is good leadership, time and time and time again, I see godly principles. And I see, actually, you could almost put biblical verses next to a lot of what you see in non-Christian books in terms of effective leadership. But what's also been my my reflection in this is actually it's an imitation of a godly principle. And I'm going to come back to that. It's almost like God sets this principle here and the world tries to imitate it without faith. But actually the root of that principle is really, really godly. And um, Catherine and I are very excited at the moment. And the reason we're very, very excited is because we've got tickets to the world snooker next year. (laughs) And we... We love watching snooker. You can pray for us later if you wish. Okay. <laughs> um, but interestingly enough, I was watching the snooker um, yesterday um, and when I was sort of finishing putting this together and there was a guy called Mark Allen playing. Does anyone else watch snooker here or are we the only sad ones? Oh, okay. Some of us maybe. Right. There's a guy called Mark Allen there and he's a really, really good snooker player but he was slightly losing. Um, and he, he, you, he went back to his, his chair. he just lost a point or whatever. And he sat down, he closed his eyes and he started breathing deeply. And the commentator said, actually his coach has just been telling him a principle of imagining yourself lifting that trophy, potting the last ball to win the match, and you sit there and you imagine yourself doing that. And his coach had given him that principle. And I know that often athletics coaches will say that when you're running athletics, when when they're crouching down at the beginning of the line, they're actually imagining themselves crossing the winning line first. They're not thinking about the race, they're thinking about themselves crossing that winning line. And there's a real sort of, if you want to call it worldly, principle there, which you could call the power of positive thinking, the power of thinking yourself into a situation. But I believe that actually that's very much a godly principle which is based on, actually as Christians, we put our faith in who we are in God. And it's kind of a, a pale worldly imitation of the godly principle of thinking about what God does for us and who we are in God and fixing our minds on that. Does that make sense? And it is about saying actually we fix our eyes on what God does for us and what God can do for us. Thinking like a champion is about thinking about the victory of who we are in him. And that's what I wanted to talk a little bit about. So I'm going to look at Hebrews 10, 34 to 36. So Hebrews 10, 34 to 36. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. And what you've got people here is they're sitting, in, they're sitting in prison, they're in a terrible situation. But what are they fixing on? They're fixing on their confidence in God. They're fixing on the finishing line. They're fixing on what they've got in God. And they're thinking like a champion rather than necessarily thinking about the situation they're in. Jeremiah seventeen seven. It says, New International Version, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. And actually, this list is here, is about saying, actually, I want you to fix your mind on the victories that I've won and the victories that I can win for you. God expects us to have confidence in Him, to think like a champion in Him, to imagine ourselves crossing that winning line. And if we're honest, when we face a battle or a problem, Do we look at our feet or do we look at God's victory? When you're facing a problem, how many of us look at our problems as compared to looking at God? Me? Yeah? Actually, all the time, oh no, what am I going to do here? How's that going to work? Actually, what God's saying to us in this is, look at my victories. Look at what I can do in this situation. I want you to think like a winner and how that can move forward. Um, I wanted to give an example actually just from my work. When I first started as a head teacher, which I can't believe is almost nine years ago now, um, I was facing a whole load of situations which I was really, really quite worried about. And, and I'd lay awake at night and, and think, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to deal with that? And, and then eventually I'd get around and think, oh, I should pray about this. That'd be a good idea. Um, and, I, and I would pray. And, and then I'd get into that situation and God would come through. And it would resolve. And I can think of some almost miraculous situations. Where I've sat in really difficult meetings and I've just felt God say, say this. And boom, the situation is resolved. And then actually what's happened as time's gone on, I've faced similar situations, and I've thought, oh, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? And I just feel God say, have I not solved this before? Have I not been there before? Have trust in my victory in these situations? And that's what essentially is happening in this Bible. God is saying, look, I had victory here, 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 and here. And this is, this is what I want you to have faith in. How much do we daily thank God for our victories? I think that's really, really important. I, try, I keep forgetting it, but I try sometimes when I'm going to work to think of sort of three or four things. I'm going to thank God for things that he's done because actually fixing our mindset on the good things that he's done for us is really, really important. Do we meditate on how we're going to do that? Also, a little bit of a challenge as well. And, and don't, please don't, this is not meant to be a criticism in any way, but I think there's sometimes two types of prayers. There's sometimes, Lord, help me with this situation, or... Lord, I believe we can have victory in this situation, bring it about. And it's just two very slightly different ways of looking at things and saying, actually, I have a confidence in your victory here, God. Let's pray that into being, you know, as compared to uh, uh, looking at the negative side. So um, I wanted to bring a few thoughts there. I mean, for example, we're a small congregation at the moment, relatively speaking. And actually, I was really, really challenged last week. Audrey's work was absolutely brilliant. Audrey, um, obviously not here today, she said something about basically taking this to the next level as a church, for us wanting to move to the next level. Now, at the time, I very much took that in the context of praying the next level, taking our worship to the next level, taking our prayer to the next level. Absolutely right. But as I was preparing this, I was thinking, actually, do we have a confidence that God can take our church to the next level? Actually, we're a church of 2040, sort of ish now. Actually, do we have a confidence that God can take us to 200? Take us to the next level? And he did it with Medway Family Church. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking, actually, Julian, obviously, an elder here in the room. And when was it we changed from Medway to Cornelstone? I can remember, about 2012? Yeah, 11-12. something like that. So our church changed from Medway Family Church. We went through a sort of revisioning process. Um, into Cornerstone City Church. We moved out of our old Jasper Centre building. We moved into Mid-Kemp. And at the time, we were a church of probably about 70 or 80, when Catherine and I joined back in 1743, um, <laughs> whatever it was, 2001. Um, it was a church, really, of only about 25. And, uh, but at that time, we were doing... I'm, I'm one of the trustees, and we were doing some sort of revisioning. And I really felt on my heart that God wanted us to think like a big church, and create the structure of a big church. And we did a whole load of that. And essentially said, no, we're not going to think like a small church. We're going to think like a big church. And we did that. And, and hey-ho, I mean, how many is it now? About 400 in total, I think, isn't it? Um, God wants us to have confidence in where he can go. Another example, Catherine and I run a, a youth group on a Wednesday where we live over in Stadler's Hill, way away. Um, and we've got an opportunity at the moment um, where some of our young people might be going to New Day. Um, Luke and Toby went Um, they've been inviting friends we have an amazing opportunity where there's a local trust which um, it's a trust apparently has been in the area for years like tens and tens and hundreds of years almost and then since 1600 yeah yeah absolutely amazing and their mission is to provide evangelical opportunities for people in stallisfield Nottingham. Now, to put it into context, there's probably about 400 people total that live in Stallingsfield and Notterdon, um, and they've offered for any member of our youth group to get fully paid to go to New Day. Um, and we've now, you know, we've invited some of them, and it looks like some of them have come along. Absolutely amazing. And I felt challenged in this to God say, yeah, have faith in my victory. Actually, a lot could go. A lot could go to this. Because I'm going to be very honest with you, I was thinking this probably won't happen, but actually let's have that faith. So um, really just these passages are here in the Bible to help to build our confidence and say over years and years and years, God has gone before us and there's been victories. Let's have confidence in those victories. They're here to build our confidence, to think like a champion, to have confidence in God's victory and how we can meditate on crossing that winning line. Now, here you go. There is a, a butt to this. You can think like a champion all you like. But actually, the other part of this is God's people were obedient. God's people were obedient. And I want to spend a little bit of time looking at that. It's only part of the passage, really, the, the, the think like a champion. It's obeying God's word. So if we look at Leviticus 26, reward for obedience. If you want to have a look at that, you can do Leviticus 26. I'm going to start from verse 1. It said this, Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves, and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting. And you will eat all the food you want and live in the safety of your land. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousands, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favour and you will make, and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. And I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out and make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God and brought you out of Egypt so that you will no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with the heads held high. That sounds all right, doesn't it? Yeah, they obeyed. That sounds all right. Oh, hang on a minute. Here's the next bit. Punishment for disobedience. But if you will not listen to me and carry out these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases and a fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. If after all of this you will not listen, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of your land yield their fruit. Ouch. That's an ouch. Of course, really important when I read that, this is Old Testament. Okay, it's really important to put this into context. It's before the grace of Jesus. And I think it's really important to say that. So we need to be careful not to be too legalistic. But actually, I think there's very much a central principle here. As we seek to obey God, he seeks to bless us. So what does it mean to seek to obey God? Well, I want to go back to our athlete analogy. We've thought about the winning line. we thought about crossing the line. But actually, if you cross, if you seek to cross that winning line, but rather than going to training, midweek training, you go to McDonald's each week. It's not going to work, is it? If you, just, if you ignore that and you just go to McDonald's. So a few points I want to bring out here. First one is, we need to spend time with our trainer and our coach. To read his word, to pray, to seek wisdom as to what to do in different circumstances. As we draw close to God, we take on his mindset, his wisdom, to do what he sees in, uh, to do in victory. As the athlete spends time with his coach... He improves his technique but actually the bit that really struck me when I was preparing this is actually God wants us to spend time with him in obedience because actually he loves us and wants to spend time with us and that's what it's about he wants us to spend time with us the next part there is we need to be disciplined to do what it says in the Bible now here's here's another little bit of a confessional okay I'm a bloke and I'm a bloke that did a degree in design and technology so therefore I know everything about putting things together and I do not need instruction leaflets. <laughs> okay, put those two together, if I have to assemble a chest of drawers, yeah fine and start making it and then we get to the end and Catherine walks in and goes, shouldn't those legs be on the back, not the front, or <laughs> words to that effect, Yeah. Is anyone else testament to that? Yes. <laughs> a few, quite a few of us. Sorry? The instructions are wrong. Yeah, exactly. They, they didn't make it clear enough. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you on that. Your no, wives. Can wrong. No, That's the biblical principle. Wives are never wrong. Not even when Muslims are instructions. Absolutely. But actually, what this is saying here is actually part of the obedience... It's actually really simple. God's given us his word. And he asks us to read his word, to know his word, to meditate his word. And it's, it's simple. It does what it says on the tin. If the Bible says, don't swear, don't swear. If the Bible says, observe the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath. And interestingly, what I was thinking about prepping this was when, um, when you read stories and you hear stories about big revivals that happened, they didn't necessarily happen because people sought revival. Quite often the stories you hear is because revivals happen because people sought holiness. And people sought to do what God said we should be doing. And seeking holiness has often led to the biggest revivals. And actually, God says, read my instruction booklet. Draw close to me. Okay, don't be a bloke and think you can do it for yourself. Okay, and then seek holiness. And then um, I will seek to bless you. And the last bit in this is listen to the voice of God in each situation. Um, If we maybe think about the the army and and battles, which is what we're talking about here, actually there will be a major or in the athlete situation there will be a coach that is giving instruction. And as Christians we very, very much believe in different circumstances that God can instruct us. If I go back to to my situation at work, there's been so many of those situations I worried about, that I prayed about, and then actually I felt God just say in my mind, boom, do this or do that and give wisdom which goes beyond my own very limited wisdom and actually God can speak to you through his word he can speak to you when you pray and he can speak to you to give you that wisdom to get, to bring about those victories so it's spend time with your coach and trainer be disciplined do what it says in the bible and listen to God okay really important principle here okay we can't just wish it we need to be obedient and the last bit I want to finish off with today is actually to talk about victory through struggles now, this is probably more inferred in the in the passage, but I think it is really, really important because there is a danger here. You can think, oh, brilliant. All I need to do is I need to think like a champion and I need to do what God says, and the world's going to be a perfect place. Sorry. Not quite the case. Okay. If you look at the example here in this passage, it might be easy to be too simplistic, okay? Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. For our struggle. It doesn't say for our walk in the park. Okay, it's for our struggle. There will be struggles. If we go back to that passage, it is a list of conquered kings. They didn't conquer the kings by playing tiddlywinks with them okay they conquered the kings by fighting there were real battles there was blood there was guts there was gauze there was victims it was it was messy and it was difficult and they had to do that to conquer the um the the other kings so it doesn't mean we're not going to face trials or difficulties not every situation will feel victorious we have to fight we have to fight in this world and there will be times that are going to be very very difficult But I want to bring that to actually say even though there are going to be things that are going to be difficult, there are going to be fights, a few things that we should always remember in this. First of all, and the best thing ever, the overall battle is won. The overall battle is already won. We may face a situation that doesn't feel victorious, but Jesus has already won the ultimate victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 but thanks to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has been defeated. Jesus died on the cross. He was born again. No matter what happens, the ultimate victory has already been won. There were often setbacks in wars, but they, re- they remain faithful. Battles may get lost from time to time, but the overall war is won. It's important to remember that. The next bit is, in our struggles, we have a helper. We don't do this on our own. Romans eight thirty seven. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We don't do this on our own. We do this through him who loved us. It was a, I'll talk, if we had the projectors today, I might have shown you. It's a fantastic thing I've actually used in assemblies a number of times. It's actually back to the 80s, I think. And there was a, an athlete that had been running around the track, using my athlete analogy again. And he got about, uh, he, was, he, was, he was winning and he was not far off the finish line, and then obviously got some some kind of cramp or injury and just suddenly pulled up. It looked like a hamstring or something had gone and basically just sort of collapsed on the floor. And what then happened is basically his dad ran down from the um, crowd and basically picked him up and they just hobbled across the line together. And it was a fantastic clip, and of course he didn't win the race, but it was a fantastic clip about actually we don't do this alone. Psalm 23, verse 4, the, uh, the very, very famous one there. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we do have a helper in God. And last of all, we do this together. Really, really important. This is something we do together as a community of God. Philippians 1, 29 to 30. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Okay, in this situation you can hear about Paul saying, look, I've been through this, we're going to do this together. And actually as a church community together, we do this together and we support each other. And it's great, I know this happens loads, that when people are going through difficulty we support each other in this church and that's really, really important. So I'm going to finish here, and I'm just going to go back and remind us. Two key themes. Let's think like a champion. Okay, we are victorious through him. Let's remember that actually the victory comes through obedience and actually doing what it says on the tin. But actually, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There are going to be struggles, but Jesus has won the ultimate victory. And uh, amen. Should we have an amen for that? He has won the ultimate victory. Excellent. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to... um, I suggest that what we do, is just take a few minutes, actually just close our eyes and just think about this and say, look, Lord, what are you saying to me in this? And then opportunity to pray out. But the few things I'd like us just to um, meditate on as we, as we think for a few minutes. Are there any situations where God would encourage you to think like a champion through him, to believe in his victory? Going back to Audrey's word last week, what does moving up to the next level mean for you? What is that victory that God wants you to have this week, next week, going forward? Are there any areas where you feel God would say to you, I want to bring victory, but actually I need your obedience first? I need you to obey me. Is this something I've been asking you to do that you haven't done or stop doing something that you shouldn't be doing and bring that? Is this something you need to bring before God and say, actually, I, I just want to be obedient to you in this? And last of all, I think particularly important, are there any struggles you're facing where you need to faith, need faith or wisdom to see his victory in that situation? And I think particularly after a few minutes, I think it'd be really good to pray out for those. We know there's lots of, sort of health issues in the church at the moment and to pray for God's victory in those situations. So let's just take a few minutes on our own and then um, I'll encourage us to, to pray out.